0: Welcome to The Suffering Podcast. Each week, we walk you through how suffering is the way to sustainable success and the path to greatness. We can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and many more. Visit thesufferingpodcast.com for complete details. Please subscribe and like to get our latest episodes as soon as they drop. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn for exclusive content. Please comment. We may read your comments on future shows or even reach out to you for a future guest appearance. Let's embrace how suffering forges bonds that last forever, showing we are never alone. So get so ready get ready, get ready. Sit down. Sit down, sit down and, strap and strap it. Strap it. Sit your ass down. Down. Sit your ass down. Down. Let's talk, about, Let's talk, the talk about the suffering. It's time it's to, start, time to pay. start the pain. Sit your, Sit ass, your down. ass down. down. Sit your ass, Sit your down, ass down, down and, strap, and strap, in. strap it. This is going to hurt. hurt. This is going to hurt. Talk about it's the suffering. suffering. It's time to start the to to pain. Start to pay. This is, gonna, this hurt. is gonna, hurt. gonna hurt. It's time, it's time for the time Suffering, suffering podcast. podcast. Dented Development Project is a 501c3 nonprofit organization with a mission to assist first responders and their families repair dents caused by suffering help us support the ones who take care of us selflessly dented things can still operate but may not be as pretty as they once were make a difference and go to denteddevelopmentproject.com to get involved today our heroes need our help all new suffering podcast gear is here the show depends heavily on our supporters to get the word out Let people know that suffering is a team sport and no one is alone in their struggles. Wearing the Suffering Podcast merchandise accomplishes that goal. Check out our store at thesufferingpodcast.com or check our show notes for the link. Your support and love means everything to us. What does it mean to be a tough guy? Does a tough guy hold in his emotions? Does a tough guy go out and break legs? Is a tough guy someone able to take the pain? or does a tough guy endure suffering? From a young age, most men are taught to be good little soldiers, to do as we're told without question, and endure that suffering. We're conditioned to show no weakness. If you're hurt, pick yourself up and rub some dirt on it. Developing mental toughness is much different than developing physical toughness. It doesn't take much talent to go out and break legs. The real talent lies in healing and helping. A tough guy is able to own up to his own weaknesses, A tough guy is able to see his shortcomings. A tough guy is able to see his errors. A tough guy is able to take what he's learned and apply it to life so that others don't fall into the same pitfalls and mistakes that they have made. I'm Kevin Donaldson here with Mike Felace, and on this episode of The Suffering Podcast, we sit down with Frankie Steele-Pontillo to discuss the suffering of a mafia enforcer. Frankie has taken a step back from the life he was born into. To be able to see that true toughness is applying the lessons he's learned to create a new life. Frankie, thank you so much for coming in today. I really appreciate thanks, it.
1: Thanks for inviting me. Craig, you know what a struggle it is for me, right? To, I mean, to see Kevin fumbling through those things. Now you know <laughs> what I go through every week.
0: You, I mean, you really want to talk oh, science. So. everything see I you see that a lot. Everything uh, you just said, it is edited out. Yeah, no kidding. That's, that's the... That's the beauty of being the boss, Frankie. Yep. So I made contact. We get into a social media question every week. We take a, a question from an audience member, and we, we give it to the guests, and it's sort of off the cuff. There was a gentleman who reached out to me. His name's Klaus. He's from Austin, Texas. He, At the time, he contacted me. He's 13 days sober. He was a, he's a vet from Afghanistan, and he's just a fan of the show. He's a fan of what suffering can do for you. So I invited him to give us our social media question, and what he wrote was, I told him about you, and I told him we'll be recording you very soon. He said, what is the cause of the mafia's decrease in power over the past couple decades? Because we were talking about, you know, when one boss gets dethroned, another boss comes in, there's a power vacuum. But from somebody who used to be in the life, I'd be interested to find out what your perspective is on, the in recent years, the decrease in power of the mafia. Okay, that's a good question. Klaus. Klaus. From
1: Texas. From Texas. Go um, figure.
2: In my opinion, I see things different than a normal person when it comes to this kind of stuff. You know, being around it, growing up around it. It all comes down to the quality of guy. And the quality of guy changed from, say, like the 70s and 80s and the low, early 90s. There was a certain type of guy where you, everybody lived by a certain code. As, like, the 90s, the end of the 90s, into the 2000s, it started changing. Things that were, were a no-no... People just looking the other way with certain people. And I think the influence the mob used to have was just desensitizing through that 1990 to 2000 mark. Then from the 2000 mark to the 2020 mark, that's when it really went south. It all comes down to the quality of guy. Like there was certain rules that you never broke and there was consequences. Things that I would never think of doing like, see what we're doing now, like a podcast? Yeah. If this was is not the early 80s, I'd be shot in the head.
0: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Which is amazing to think about. But somebody else put it to to me this way. is because of the nepotism in the mafia. And the nepotism goes across the board, of corporate, mafia, everything. You have somebody like, uh, say, Michael Frances, who you, you were aware of. He's being a Columbo. Yeah. His father was Sonny Frances. He was the guy.
2: Yeah, I, and, I knew. The, I knew his father. I never met Michael.
0: And Michael matriculated. Now, Michael had his own talents, but Michael matriculated really quickly. Again, to co- uh, bring home the concept of our show is, you have to go through suffering in order to appreciate anything. Junior Gotti's the same thing. Was given his position without really having to work for it all that much or all that hard. Say somebody like yourself, or his or his father, or, or Sonny Frances. As an example, without having to work through all of those things, you never appreciate the position once you have it. I mean, would you agree with that?
2: Yeah, I I agree with it. And as far as like uh, John Gotti and John Gotti Jr., there's a story that went went through the circles. Might have been in some books. Might even been on some documentaries. But to our world, I remember in prison, an old time was telling me a story. They were at a wedding. Somehow. There was a, a meeting somewhere that got back to one of the guys in front of the chin. Vincent Giganti. Yeah, Giganti. Uh, meaning what I mean in front of was the puppet. Because mm-hmm. the chin was not crazy.
0: Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it came out you later. Know, you know, a robe the, all the The odd time. father, right. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and uh, basically, John told that gentleman, you know, my son just got straightened out. You know, he's one of us. And basically, the message back was, I'm
0: sorry to hear that. Really, and this came by way of puppet from Chin. Yeah. So from everything I heard about Chin was Chin was a serious guy. As a matter of fact, when Paul Castellano was taken out, the story that that, again I'm not I wasn't in that life, but the story that I heard was Frankie DeChico got killed as retaliation because they didn't get clearance from the commission. Correct. Yeah. I mean that's that's now you see that 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 killing. Yeah. I was driving down 86th Street. The the DeChico killing or the Castellano?
2: DeChico. I was driving down 86th Street because everybody was saying, you got to go see the car. It looks like something out of Beirut. <laughs> I was driving down 86th Street and I saw the car smoking still. No kidding. where they blew him up. And now years later, I was in prison with a with a gentleman named Herbie Pate, And he was like, you know, a mob guy. and But he was like some special forces guy that knew how to make, you know, artillery and detonators and all kinds of stuff. And, he was like, you know, he kind of claimed that. Really? No yeah, kidding.
0: To me. Did, he get, did he ever get popped for it?
2: Uh, it I, came up somewhere. I don't know if he got popped for it, but he was like, I haven't heard if he died or not. I don't even know if he's alive. He was, he was close with my father.
0: Your father, for those people that don't know who he was, what was your father's name? Oh, Frankie yeah, Steel yeah, Pontello yeah. is one of the coolest nicknames of your father. Your, your father had a cool one too. Yeah, his name was Sammy Cigarettes. Sammy Cigarettes. <laughs> so he stole he he uh, he sold bottles of liquor. That no, it? <laughs> no. Track that,
2: when I was a kid, I used to go to warehouses all over Newark that they had. A cousin of mine married somebody from North Carolina. While they was in the military, they had like mm-hmm. a kid. My father was still friendly with him, and he had the connection in North Carolina for the cigarettes. To get the the, the different stamps. Yeah, the here. stamps. And basically, he went to go down there and track the trailer after track the trailer. would just keep going down, back and forth, back and forth, filling up the warehouse in Jersey, in Newark. That was big in the 70s. Everybody knew him. Everybody knew him just for that alone, for the, for that whole run that they had.
0: I think he'd probably starve today because everybody's quitting smoke. <laughs> yeah. yeah okay. Well, you
2: well, also had a heroin route, too.
0: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Okay, you gotta have the. You gotta branch off once a while.
2: Supplement. (laughs) he was bringing in. He was importing heroin to the country, but
0: he also he did some serious time. Yes,
2: yes, yes. The 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 last uh, bid that he got was really not even about heroin. What happened was, when he used to get stuff brought into the country, they used to send them the jackets from Istanbul, Turkey, with the packages. So when we would meet the runners they were like, here's a gift, a leather jacket. It was like soft. It was like a camel ass. It was like, it was like, <laughs> I, he never felt leather like this, right? So I was like, Dad, you know, we should get uh, some of these for for Christmas gifts. Let's get about 20, 30 of them in different sizes and give them out because I never felt the jacket this soft. So from the kitchen, from the phone, he called up the cafe in Istanbul, in Tur- in Istanbul Turkey, talked to his friend, and ordered like twenty five or thirty jackets, assorted sizes. Well, the cafe was being bugged by Interpol. Oh, Ouch. Now, Interpol gave the tape to the DEA. Now the DEA says, oh, this is not jackets. This is guys ordering heroin. And, and he was really yeah, ordering jackets. Yeah. Jackets, code word for heroin. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, give me, yeah, Give me two jackets. Yeah, so <laughs> now uh, he gets the phone count, which with his, with his record should have been about 10 years with his record because he had a bad record. Uh, and the George Sterling Johnson... I believe departed him seventeen more years oh my God. on top of that phone count, and he got twenty seven years for ordering
1: ordering jackets leather jackets <laughs>
2: well because of his past right with all the different important heroin here and there and the pizza case and this and that and-
1: with, with everything else going on that he was important he got seventeen years for jackets.
2: No, 27.
1: 27. 27 years for Jackets. So your father yeah, was part of the pizza connection also? He supplied a lot of people in Harlem and them.
2: You know, he was close. He had, he had a big route wow. with, the, with the actual, you know, importers of heroin from Istanbul, Turkey. Wow. That later on turned out to probably be ISIS. <laughs>
0: you know? <laughs> well, I know a lot about you, Frankie, but I've done my research. I want you to tell our audience a little bit about you. Okay. I know that's usually the toughest question when yeah, you ask somebody, yeah, hey, you know, tell me about you know yourself. It is, tell me about yourself.
2: I, you know, yeah, I'm nothing special. I'm just a regular person that, you know, grew up in Brooklyn. I don't want to say fell victim to it, but I got blinded by the mob life. You had to be from uh, Bay
1: Ridge or Bensonhurst.
2: Yeah, Bensonhurst. I was in Canarsie for a little bit when my mother got sick, and I was in Canarsie for a little bit.
1: But then I went back to Bensonhurst. Right. Where, do you, do you remember Lamore? Lemoyers, yeah, that was a rock club. My father owned it. Oh yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. But so when when John Elite was in here, John and Mike's father knew each other from the old days, yeah. and we were able to hook him up with a phone call. Especially John's oh, yeah. father and and yeah. Mike's father were yeah. Lemoyers. Yeah. yeah, that
1: yeah. was the rock club, like in the sixtieth, uh, like sixty second. Yeah, yeah, between fifteenth uh, and sixteenth, yeah. Yeah. right near Maple Lanes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> You know, we, you, we we were just talking about Maple Lanes the other yeah. day. It's a it's a, it's a condominiums now or something. <laughs> yeah, the, the the Jewish people built everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Russians took it over at one point too, because oh, yeah? I believe when my father's club was sold, the Russians took it over, and they turned it into some place called Red Wolf or something like that. Yeah. And then-
0: I can see how you get blinded by that life. Now I yeah. grew up around all these guys in the Philly mob. You knew as a very young kid, you didn't know really what they were doing. You know, it was very quiet back then. You didn't really know what they're doing, but when Nicky Scarfo showed up, he was a man that you're know, like you didn't know why, but you knew he was he was somebody that commanded respect.
1: So the well, fact they, that they you exude were... respect at that yeah. point. You know, you have that certain you know what do they call it, that je ne sais quoi. You know, you, <laughs>
2: yeah, that's a charisma that walks Yeah, in exactly. You know
1: who's so when you when someone walks in, you know and like I said, being at my father's club, when someone walked in, you knew there was somebody because they exuded that. Right, they have a certain way of a way of walking. I'm
0: assuming around the neighborhood when you were young, that's what you saw. Yeah, so you see, you see, on every corner
2: there was a different social club for a different family. Yeah. That was the hub. Bensonhurst was the hub, and and Bensonhurst, it had, had every every club was there from every family, you know. But the Ravenite that was in Queens. That was John's. That was right. That's two thousand one Odyssey. Where no, no, no. The Ravenite. <laughs> the Ravenite was in Manhattan. The Bergen Hunt and Fish Club was on 101st Avenue.
0: That's what I was thinking. The
2: Ravenite was on Mulberry Street. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, it got me confused there for a second. <laughs> it was on Mulberry <laughs> Street last night. Yeah. Yeah, no change
0: since back then. Yeah. Well now it's only a block, right? It's yeah. just one block. But because uh Chinatown's moving a little bit north. Yeah. It's 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 all tourist trap now anyway.
2: Yeah, I still go to Chinatown a lot. Because my daughter loves octopus, and there's one fish wholesaler that I've been
0: using forever, and I go there. <laughs> all the way to Chinatown for some octopus. Well, be- I
2: buy I buy like four
0: giant ones. No kidding. You don't buy leather jackets, do you? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. You come along, you see all these guys of respect, yeah. and you, they just groom you? Is that how they well, do it?
2: Well, you know what is You see them when you're young, walking to school, you're passing the club on the way home, and you're mingling, and... If they like, like a lot of guys knew I was Sammy's son, so I, you know, they would talk to me, bring me in. You want something to eat or whatever. And through the years, you know, you want to hang around them, and you want you're, you're looking for that. You're looking for love in all the wrong places. Well, you're, draw, you're drawn to that lifestyle. Yeah, because well, you, you see, know, you, you,
1: they they got the fancy clothes, the fancy cars. Yeah, you see the cars, you see the money, you
2: see the power, you know the respect is there, and and you think this is something that you really want because you think it's a certain way. And you do whatever you have to do to get accepted.
0: It's sort of like the the scene in the Bronx Tale where the, the kids are buying guns in the back alley because they think that's going to impress the boss. Yeah. Now, one of the things about a Bronx Tale, as it correlates with your life, when the when the boss, Sonny, finds that these kids are buying guns, he smacks them in the head. As, like, what are you, stupid? The, your father being involved in My that stuff. My father wanted
2: nothing nothing for me to have nothing to do with this life. You know, every visit that I seen him, he's like, you know, why are you doing this? You're going to end up here. But it just like, I just was like, yeah, don't worry. I'm going to, I'll be all right. in one year and out the other, Mm -hmm. you know, because I went to a lot of prisons visiting him through my life from young all the way up until before I went to prison. He tried to steer me away. But once he saw that it was, uh, it's
1: inevitable, so to speak, then he kind of accepted it. It's almost got to like get in your blood though, doesn't it? I mean, it becomes part of who you are.
2: Well, yeah. Like, you, you, when you live a certain way and you want to be accepted, you do things. And, like, even young, like, I was I was good at robbing cars, you know. And the mob, when they have to do something serious, they need a car. And I got a lot of cars for them. You were good at hot wiring or
0: just breaking in?
2: Just tilting it. Anything with a tilt, steering, just with a f- f- screwdriver, I start that
1: thing in under 10 seconds down the block. You used to watch. I, I, at one point, they were stealing and... and... I'm not gonna blame you, but they were stealing on the average of forty seven cars a night from around the area of my father's <laughs> oh, club.
0: But, <laughs> but you you know what the... so, so it was probably you. <laughs> I watched these I watched these car thieves on the other side of the law. I watched them and these kids from usually from the inner cities were so talented in getting in those cars that if these kids just were to put their energy into something good, they would have been successful in it because they, they were like a savant. I watched somebody made this homemade uh homemade gadget out of a a battery-powered Sawzall that could literally turn a car on. We're talking early 2000. Literally turn a car on in about five seconds. I mean, it was amazing. And you watch them on video camera because all the places they stole from had the cameras at the time. You are like, holy cow, man, these kids are good. They could have been auto mechanics, just like you.
2: You know, as as a kid, I used to wash trucks at the place called Mika Towing in Canasi, right near Patty Tester's car lot. And you know you you see a lot of crash cars, and there was a guy like I worked the yard, and he says, "Yeah, you just take the screwdriver here, you just popped it here, you start and, and I would practice later on, you know I became good at it, and that, plus i didn't I had a far walk to school, so that that
1: changed <laughs> <laughs> now was now it became a quick drive, <laughs> yeah, so now
2: it got to the point where I was leaving I was leaving the cars by the school, <laughs> and one day I came, I had a class with the car that I took that morning. The, the cops were finger were, were putting the dust for fingerprints all over it. So they, they knew something was going on, but then I stopped a little bit. <laughs> i have taken it to school. Hey, and you, you do these things, and now they know Frankie could do cars. What else can Frankie get? What else can he do? And then before you know it, you're doing this run. You're doing that run. You're going over here, you know, to, to pick up some money from somebody or somebody owes back Vig, and you're going to
1: pick up the money. And before you know it, you're in the loop. You're gaining respect at that point. Yeah, you know, but the, it, it, the more you know, the more you can well, do, the more you can help them.
2: Well, well, well. You know what it is? They're grooming you, and they want to see what you can do, what you can handle, and how responsible you are. If you have any bad habits, or if you're just straight, and, you know, straight arrow. And believe me, I was—I I never did any drugs. I really wasn't a drinker. I never smoked. They were—you know—they were against that.
0: If you—if you're a drug drug addict, you know, mm-hmm. you're not going to last too long. And we're talking like what time?
2: Oh, yeah, young, like 14 years old, I was robbing the what, cars
0: for them. What's the age, or what's, what's the, the date, late 70s? No, 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 the, the, late, the, the late
2: 70s, that's when I was doing hubcaps. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, late 70s, I was
2: doing See, hubcaps. That,
1: that hubcap business ran out real quick, though. No yeah, cars yeah. have hubcaps anymore. But
0: I heard that's how breakdancing was yeah. invented. They <laughs> tried to steal one off a moving car.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, Yeah, I used, to, I used to bring a lot to Patty Tester's car lot mm. in, uh, in and uh, until my grandma found my stash. <laughs> I, you know, my grandma, she was an old Italian lady. She would plant tomatoes in everybody's yard. If she heard you had a plot of land, one foot by one foot, <laughs> 10 miles away, she'd walk there and plant. Were and you driving in one of yeah, your stolen cars? <laughs> yeah, no, I, could, I had to hide them. My friend's mom, you know, found us, you know, saw us driving one day, and she went and burned the car because she thought we bought it. And it was somebody else's car, but. Oh, my. Yeah. The car was, it was singed. But, uh so my grandma, no fingerprints my, off of that, my, yeah, my, so my grandma is, is is planting, and she there's a spot in my backyard that was nothing but dirt, and this, so i took I built a like a little cabin cabinet in the ground with wood, and I dug it out, and then I put like liquid like a liquid glue on top, and then threw rocks and dirt on it, so that when it looks down, it looks like the ground, mm-hmm. but you just go there and flip up the wood,
0: ah, I it. Like, that's where everything
2: was. And she found it. Oh, no. She found it trying to plant t- tomatoes in that area of the yard. You know, she says, you know, you know, your father, what I went through with your father, and now you're going to get in trouble. I'm like, no, I'm not going to get in trouble, Grandma. Yeah, she was like a psychic. <laughs> she knew <laughs> the path. But, you, you know, it went from, went from, the you know, stealing the hubcaps, you know, making money, and, you know, doing little odd things. And before you know it, you're, you're in the loop if you're, you know, around those the, the, the right circle.
0: You know, I know the life seems very glamorous to you. To most people on the outside. Usually it's the people who come from the inside that tell you that the, the grim finish below the glossy veneer of that type of life. We ask everybody when they come in here, everybody's got a suffering story. Everybody's got a really bad suffering story. If you had to pick one out from your past, what do you think it would be? The one that hurt you the most. And if you didn't have a
1: suffering story, you wouldn't be in here. This is true.
2: <laughs> well... Unfortunately, I have a lot of suffering story, you know, a lot of suffering in my life. All that suffering that he endured on many levels. And the most thing you suffer about is loss of of somebody. That's the main thing, in in my opinion, because I'm not an expert about this. But, you know, when you lose someone, you really, you know, hurt. There's nothing you could do that can change it. It'll drive you bananas to a point where you don't believe in certain things anymore and you don't know if this is true or that's true. Start doubting God and all that stuff. Well, yeah. Yeah. uh, There's a whole other, you know, I have a whole other feeling now about that. But I know there's something after this. You know, even like when I was a kid, my mother went to the hospital when I was six. She didn't come home. She died when I was eight. A week later, my father went to prison. That was the beginning of where everything went off tilt for me. When you're out the home structure anymore, going through that, Led me to look for love
1: in all the wrong places, like I said before. But I was gonna yeah. say that that's gonna bring you to a different family. Then most kids More on family? the
0: most most kids on the street are looking for looking to belong, and if yeah. they, if same, they don't, same thing with gangs, yeah. like the
1: Bloods and the Crips, right? If they, they, they don't. They, a lot of them don't come from a family structure, right? You know, so they're looking for family in other places, exactly.
0: Right, you look for that belonging, yeah. Looking for love you in know, all the wrong places, yeah.
1: And uh, you know,
2: it was me and my sister, and then we went to some family members to stay, but that didn't work out too good. But that was the beginning of the path that I took. If you want to go far back for that, when I lost my mother and then my father went to
1: prison. At, I mean, at eight, what'd you say, eight years old? Yeah, that's she went to hospital when I was six and she stood there till I was eight and died. I mean, I, I lost my mom 11 years ago. Oh, sorry. And yeah. that, that, that's still tough to me. I mean, and you know, I was... What, 50, I was 40-something years old, at, and I lost her. Never mind at eight years old. That yeah. had to be rough. At eight yeah. years old, you really don't have the mental capacity in order to
0: deal with not being able to have your mother around. Right. It had to screw you up a little bit. And, and uh, to be honest with you, if it didn't screw you up, I'd say there's something wrong with you. It's something that always stuck in my head, like, why this happen?
1: It gives you a different yeah. outlook on things. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and then as you go through life more, you lose more people. The suffering and the loss up until now, like when I just lost my wife recently— and the same thing that happened to me is happening to my daughter. You know, it's like history is repeating itself. The only difference is, my daughter has structure. Right. You know, she's she's not you know getting put from house to house. She has a, you know structure, and she has me.
0: Well, I see that. I see that on your your posts on on social media and stuff that you're very you're an involved father yeah. because now your relationship with your father being away during your formative years. I'm sure that had a little bit of an impact on how you raise your own child.
2: Yeah. I you want know. her to know that I'm always going to be there for her and, you know, she's okay. You know, you never have to worry about things I used to worry about. Not to mention you put your daughter in movies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which... <laughs> Listen, I started since she's an infant. I had the yeah. camera on her face as an infant.
0: Got <laughs> to get her used to the, the yeah, profile. That was the
2: whole point, yeah. yeah. To get her used to the whole thing and she's doing good.
0: Well, there was that one scene in the movie, in in a recent small movie, that you had sent me a while ago. And it's you picking up a child from the street as if you were abducting her. Right. You have a mask on and everything. Right, 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 And I see the way you picked this child up. In back of my mind, and I didn't know that was your daughter. I In the back of my mind, I'm like, yeah, that's his daughter because only a father picks up their yeah. own child that way. <laughs> <That's>, yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> what happened was the guy that I was uh, scheduled to abduct her, he didn't have time to do it at the time that I had to do it. So I had to do two roles there. So I had to, you know, mask up and hat up, and so you can't see it's me. But a lot
1: of people said, I know that's you. <laughs> had to play the dad yeah. and
2: abductor. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, it worked out pretty good. But uh, she's, she's, listen, she's my everything. And, again, everything that I've been through in my entire life, I wouldn't change it. Because if one thing was altered, I might not have her.
0: You're hired, by the way, to promote our show because that's the concept of our show. You can't change anything as much as it sucks while you're going through it. And it's brutal. You can't change it because you'd never be here today. No. I wouldn't change it.
1: There is something to be said about the love for a daughter. You could love your mother. You could love your father. But that that, that fatherly love for a daughter? I mean, my daughter used to look at me like, when she was a kid. She'd look at me and I'd just melt. Yeah, but I feel <laughs> bad for both of you what guys. What do
0: you need? <laughs> I feel really bad for both of you guys because you guys got daughters. I got two sons. All right. When my oldest was, they used to give the sonograms and they would guess and they guessed a girl. I remember this wave of panic coming over me going, holy shit. The first guy that
1: looks at this girl, I'm going to shoot him in the back of the yeah, head. But see, you know, I feel bad for you because you don't have that. Like I said, Frank, Frank attest to it that 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 love that, that you bond, feel for that, that daughter. That Listen, I always used to say, my daughter used to come up when I used to come home. My daughter would come up and give me a hug. My son would come up and kick me in the shin. You know, it's
0: two different okay. types of love. I could see that, but it's the same thing. I could see that because my uh, my son just changed my name on Netflix. You know, you have the different things on Netflix. My new name on Netflix is Douchebagalo. Oh,
1: okay.
0: <laughs> that, that was that was really nice of him. You know, this that's what you get from a twelve going on thirteen or thirty five year old.
1: But now, if your daughter did it, it
0: would just be daddy. You know, parts. <laughs> we'll get into this a little bit, in, a little bit more in depth. But you never going back to your former life. Does your daughter play heavily into that, or is there it, it, keeping you clean before she
2: came? Before she was born, I was pretty much headed in a different direction. Yeah, certain things went down, and I had to make choices, and it was hard. There were hard choices. But I had to do it strategically, like a
0: chess game, like I never played in my life. And right, and well, except chess, you, when you make a wrong move, you you don't die.
2: Yeah. To this day, you know things are working out good. The way the life went and where it was going, even when 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 things were going good, it was bad.
0: If you really think about it, it well, was, let's let's get into that because once you you had this romantic version in your head of what this life was growing up, the Holly the Hollywood version, right? right. Yeah. And then once you hit the streets, what was the reality?
2: Well, basically, you know, you watch these movies, and now you think you're part of this big thing, this big romantic thing with what's full of love and honor. And you realize, as you get more in in you
1: know deeper into it, that it's not everything that you thought it was. Isn't it a life of like almost looking over your shoulder every day?
2: Uh, yeah, yeah, but well, you get used to that.
1: You
0: know <laughs> that. I, I... You get used to that. Yeah. I mean, think about how conditioned you were. You get used yeah. to that. I don't know. I don't know whether I, in my current life or, or the, my current way of thinking, could, would ever get used to looking over my shoulder. Hey, is somebody going to put two behind my ear? Well,
2: see, when you're in this life and you're in serious situations and you you, you see serious things, you become accustomed to living a certain way, as to where you're ready for everything. Whether the, the antennas are always up and normally you look normal while you're doing it, but it's just so natural that when you leave your house, you already know what's going on. When you're getting out of your car, when you're driving, like you become conditioned to look over your shoulder and to be followed by law enforcement.
0: Well, Mike and I understand that. So I don't know, I can't speak for Mike, but I'm pretty sure it's the same way. When we walk into a restaurant, Within two seconds, and nobody will see us doing it, but within two seconds, I have that whole restaurant scanned. You have to read the whole room. The yeah. whole room. Yeah. I know this person's got his hand underneath here, and it, you know he doesn't look right, or he's sweating, or his body language is off. And it's hypervigilance, but it comes from experience, and it comes from getting your ass kicked a couple times. That's, that's pretty much what it comes from. Yeah. You become conditioned.
2: And again, I what I used to really love was being surveilled. <laughs> I, used to, I used to try like, to fuck with them every once because I lot. really would because you know what is, How my, there was this one group I, I wish I could talk to these guys they would try so hard for me not to see them and blend in
1: I was going to say did you ever just drive by and
2: wave to them it got to the point where I would <laughs> knock on the window with my motorcycle
0: come on fucko oh, let's go it, it,
2: it, it, they, they went and got a, a Mustang and a Corvette no just to keep up
0: with me I don't know how they did it but they did it was it FBI or was it NYPD
2: I don't know, because it was during the Colombo War, and that's when they took every crew from all across the country to come investigate us. Really? So all the the aging cars were all different plates
0: from different states. So I don't know what agency they were from. If you're really interested in finding out who was surveilling you, give us a couple weeks. Okay, we still got some friends in some low or high places. (laughs) Maybe we can figure that out, because... What a great thought for you to sit down with somebody. Well, there was one like, like we're skip, we're jumping around right now. Is that all right? Oh, yeah, sure, sure. Right.
1: There it, was. It, this is three like, guys sitting around yeah, bullshitting. Yeah. There was. There one happened time. to be Mike's in front of us. All right, right.
2: So it was. This was June tenth of nineteen ninety two, give or take. We decided to have sausage and peppers for lunch, so we go to Brooklyn to Faiko's and get the sausage and peppers Fajico's. and then the bread, okay, and then we go back to Staten Island. And we were in the backyard, like a normal day, and now we see a bunch of agent cars. So I'm like, all right, there's that agent car, there, And so we, now we just pull in. We're not doing nothing wrong. And but we have a trunk full of, uh, bag full of guns. So <laughs>
1: No leather jackets, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so,
2: so the driver was like, you know, we got to get rid of these guns because the agents are all around. So I was like, all right, pull over here. Now there was a spot near the Staten Island Mall. I take the bag of guns and I hide it into like a tree, like a, a small tree in this wooded area. And now we get back into the car and we go. Now we have no idea the car's bugged and it's been bugged. So they got the conversations for the last month in this particular car. We go back to the house that we started the barbecue. He's frying the, the sausage. The, the, his wife is sauteing the onions upstairs. And we forgot something ingredient or something. So I said, all right, let me take my motorcycle and go get this 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 thing. I forget what it was I had to go get. I went down the block. Now the agents start following me. So I know something, something's going on. I go, you know what? Let me get these guns and get rid of them. So I get the guns. Now I take them back to the house I was at to tell them I'm gonna get rid of them. Because if anybody tries to chase me in one of the cars, they can't catch me. As soon as I pulled up to the house, his wife comes out, this guy Joe, and I go, listen, I got this bag. I'm going to get rid of it because uh, there's agents everywhere. I go, I just passed by a spot of a, of a parking lot, and I see them, like, getting out vests out of their trunks, and they're, like, gearing up for something. So maybe somebody around here is going to get busted or something or something. He goes, just give them to me. He takes them, and he goes, as soon as he took them, that was it. They came out of everywhere. <laughs> the ninjas yeah, they were, the, the vans the cars everywhere on the block I, I was like what? I just took off down the block now when I get to the corner I make my turn and who's standing right there waiting for me the Mustang and the Corvette oh man <laughs> alright so now these agents they want to run me over and now it starts a chase through Staten Island they're chasing me down Richmond Avenue and I'm flying and I make it to the Korean Expressway going towards Jersey they were going so fast behind me too, I believe one of them might have crashed because I seen something in my mirror, it looked like a crash, I'm not sure. So now I get on the Korean Parkway and I'm flying and I had a race bike, I had a Jigsaw 1100.
1: Oh, crotch rockets we used to call them back in yeah, the Yeah, and it was all worked
2: on because I needed something so fast to pull me around, I was big, you know? <laughs> I remember I was going down through the Korean, there was a helicopter also, low, turned around facing me. So now by the time I get to the bridge, there was a barricade of the, of the, the, the bridge police. I went through it. The only thing that kept up with me was the helicopter. And that thing followed me all the way to the Woodbridge Mall. No kidding. Okay. And I, I stopped right in the front of the Woodbridge Mall. And as I walked through the mall. Walked in into stores. I walked into a clothing store that was right there. And like, I was like Jason Bourne. I was taking shirts off, changing them. <laughs> By the time I got to the other side of the mall, I jumped in the cab. You know, I'm giving you the fast version of it. It was really a wild version. But
0: they obviously knew who you were. Oh,
2: point, they, were, yeah. going, they, were, they, were, they were trying to run me over. Yeah. They knew exactly who I was. and it was the, But I knew because you know, they didn't like that I had the motorcycle. So they got two cars to try to keep up with me. And for weeks they will follow me with those two cars, and then uh, so yeah.
0: tell tell me the feeling of what it's like. You're sitting, say you say you get locked up, and they come in and they say we got we had your car bugged. We got all the all the uh, conversations for the last month internally. Whatever you say externally, that's that's a, besides internally, what's going on inside your heart? Is well, it you, just like a sinking feeling? Well, you feel sinking, and you feel sick to your
2: stomach,
1: like an unfucked feeling.
2: You know, besides that, you feel you, and you feel betrayed. Because somebody had a bug the car that you know or, or uh, give it to them.
1: you know what?
0: Because I, 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 you see movies where the agents break into the cars and do it.
2: Well, you know, the funny thing is, there was one door in on this guy's car that never opened. It was like always stuck or something. One of the guys borrowed it to go to a funeral. And when he came back, I went to the door. Boom, it opens right up. We go, oh, he must have had a bug with the agents. Meanwhile, he did.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, You've seen some brutal stuff. And I know you've seen some brutal stuff because you were involved with probably one of the most prolific hitmen, gangster, whatever you want to call him, and that's Greg Scarpa, who was playing both sides of the fence.
2: Yeah, I've seen some crazy things. You know, I've seen a lot of crazy things, especially during the
0: war. And we're talking about the Colombo Colum- War in Colum- the early yeah, well, 90s, yeah, yes. Yeah.
2: Well, there was a lot, of, a lot of shootings, a lot of deaths. That doesn't really affect me much, because everybody knew what they were signed up for. I was going to say, it's part of the trade. You know, yeah. And again, see, like me, even during that time, any given time, we could have been killed. You know, And you accept that. So that really, those, that, that whole situation really doesn't affect me. Like There's other situations that I think of more, you know, at this stage in my life. Like, like recently, I was driving with my daughter, and the car in front of me gets hit head on. And the guy that was in front of me, he ends up popping out of his back window, the other car gets sent across the road. So I'm the first one on the scene. I get out. The guy, I think he's dead because the way he was laying. That kind of like, you know, I see the big hole in his head. And I'm like, okay, this, something, this guy is probably dead. Let me go see the other person. Now I see the other person. It's a woman who's on the brink of death. And now I'm all I'm thinking is a kid. But everything in the car, you can't see the seats are out. It was a really a impact. So now I'm looking around say so I'm going to find a kid. So I'm looking around, looking around, and there's no kid. And now I'm trying to get this lady. I'm trying to save this lady. This is my duty now. I'm on the scene now because I got to save this lady. I couldn't get her out of the car. The impact made the doors jam. Mm. And it was a rain. It was all rain. It was a storm going. And people were going by. And all I heard was the tires crinkling over the debris. And no one was helping. That that sickens me you know? when I see that. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm like...
1: How or or people it? just taking videos of it with their cell phone?
2: You know, and no one's helping. No one's helped me try to rip the thing. I'm trying to break the window, but now I, I the window that her head went through, is open. But she's so mangled, I'm afraid to pull her out of the window. I, I, I'm trying to get the door open to try to. I don't want. I don't want anything to fall apart. Right. You know, it, it felt like forever, but it took about eight minutes for the cops to come. Now they're trying to get the window open to try to get the door out. But by this time, I already seen the lady stop breathing already. She died right there on the scene. The other guy, who I thought was dead, also he got up like a zombie. <laughs> all right, and it then, was helping
1: to try to open the door. <laughs> okay, and,
2: and 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 he he lived. He ended up living because the ambulance was there. By the time he just sprung up, I guess the adrenaline kicked in. Like at all the brutal things I seen, all that that affected me the most. That I couldn't
0: help this lady. That's a funny thing, because Mike and I saw that when we were working all the time. You've been in rooms where violence has happened up close and personal. Mike and I have seen those car accidents all the time. The way, From my perspective, not being in your life, but being in a police role, those things never bothered me because I had to go on to the next call. I had to do the next thing, where the violence that you saw in your old life, you've said, well, you know what? We know what we signed up for. You just move on, and it doesn't affect you. It's bizarre how things that we used to see normally every day affect you versus what you had seen would certainly affect but us. But like this
1: accident was something that was out of your control.
0: No it, it was, you know, it wasn't yeah.
1: part of your life. You know. No. And everything that you saw back in the day in your lifestyle, you almost had control over that. This accident was something that was out of your control. And you know, it almost gives you that helpless feeling. Yeah, it does. You know, and I think about that woman. She was so
2: young, she had a family, and I was, the, I was there, but I just couldn't do nothing. Like, I, I wish things could have changed a little bit. You know, and then you see, you go through life, and you have a lot of loss. You really can't control death.
0: That's, that's what life is. Life yeah. is, life is yeah. loss and how to deal with it. You yeah. know, And that's yeah. the
1: thing, too. I'm sure there are points, you put your mother's face on that lady, or you put your daughter's face on that lady. You know, and that now it becomes personal.
0: Well, on pediatric patients, whenever yeah.
1: we lost pediatric patients, thankfully
0: the two that I lost, I didn't have children. I know, I know, guys, they put their children's faces on the the child that was lost, however right. they died, and I know it's very tough. But there, there was an eventual time where you went away. You were going to prison. Yep. All right. So when you initially find out you're going to prison, give me a little insight onto what that's like.
2: Now you're going to prison it doesn't get any uh, more real than that in as far as your life okay you know you're going away you don't know how long you're going to go away for you're fighting and you don't know you just you know you have hope that something's going to happen and sometimes things do happen sometimes things don't but now once you realize that okay you played now you got to pay now it's time to pay you, then you realize and reflect And say, okay, was this worth it?
0: That's You know what? That's I've never heard anybody say that. I've never heard, was all this worth it?
1: Was it worth it? But now you can't take it back. You can't take it back. And now you realize. There's no I'm sorries in this game anymore. No. You realize the mistakes
2: you made. And it, it all comes down to a choice. The choices I've made led me to where I was in the cage. Now you have to go through that. And you have nothing you can do. With the outside world. If you try to do both, if you try to stay in prison and still have contact with people outside, as far as being in their lives, this and that, it'll drive you
0: crazy. I've heard it put this way that if you're doing a long prison sentence, forget about your wife because she'll leave you. Yes. Forget about the relationship with your children because that's going to be, hopefully, you'll be able to reconnect later one day. And anybody you ever loved, there's a very good chance that you'll never see them again or be separated from when you get out. Right. Cause so they die. Just forget about it. <clears throat> That's the way it was told to me as a way to make prison palatable. Well,
2: I, growing up, so, you know, all the prisons that I've been in, I was also a visitor, visiting my father there wow. growing up. So I seen the visiting room before. I seen both sides now. Luckily, I wasn't
1: married. I was young. So that was a good thing. I didn't have any kids. That was a good thing. That was a really good thing. I was going to say, that's going to be yeah. tough. I mean, you went to see your father in prison. Could you, w- was that maybe one of the reasons that you kind of changed because you didn't want your daughter to come visit you in prison? Well, no, I changed before that. But what, what sparked that
2: change? Uh, there was some stuff that went down. I had to make some choices. Yeah. And uh,
0: internally, though, was there just time for you to leave? Just, well, I'm it, done. It, it
2: really, I tell you, I was starting to get disgusted like, a couple of years before, I really, like, left. Of That's how things were turning out. Nothing was going the
1: way you thought it was supposed to, even after you realize it's not what it was. But is that getting back to, like, what, what Kevin was saying before, like, the change in the people that are involved in it that really frustrated it's you? It's the and-
2: change in the people and the people who are in power. They're trying, you know, they're making calls. They're trying to deal with the way... Time is being given out. They're trying to deal with the way everything's on video now. You can't do things the way you used to. So they're, they're making calls. Things that are supposed to happen don't because they're too busy trying to figure out how to run this undetected again. By now, it's, it's you know, you figure it's 2010, 2008. 2000. Undetected is is, is, is never going to happen again. It's too known in the in the. Neighborhoods, it's too known on movies, it's too known on television. Like, if you were to ask a kid in 1970, is this guy straightened out? Which is a made member of a family. They'd be like, oh, if you were to ask a kid in 2010, is this guy Joey straightened out?
0: Oh, yeah, of of course course he is. (laughs) So,
2: so right then and there, you know there's
0: something wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the rule that I had always heard was if two guys who were made talk to each other, Unless they, they knew each other, they'll never tell each other they were straightened out. No. Yeah, that's it. But, but now, I guess. Now everybody
2: says everything. That's crazy. What what they'll do is, they'll go to a place, they'll be like, without out, directly coming out to say it. So say like me and you know each other, okay? You got straightened out, so I know you're a good fella. Now, I just get straightened out, say, okay? Now, I'm a good fella. I'm a made person in a family. Here's how they'll tip you. Oh, you see this guy, Mike? Yeah, he's with us. Yeah, that's it. And now... Lingo. Or they'll say, See this guy, Mike? Yeah, he's a friend of ours too. Right then and there, you know
0: you're straightened out. That's the little thing there. That's the lefty thing, friend of mine, friend of ours, right? Yeah, that's exactly what you're talking. You'll know.
1: Like, I know. I used to see it all the time. Like I said, at my father's club, you know, they'd say, you know, this guy, you know, he's one of us. You know, leave him alone because, like I said, I, I was a bouncer there, and we used to throw people out all the time. Yeah. You now, no, leave him alone. He's one of us. Once they say it's a friend of ours, yeah, that means you're straightened
2: out.
0: I know. I know this because I'm a Freemason, so I can I know certain things about people's behavior, what other Freemasons are. We'll never we'll never call each other out, we'll ne- or you'll just go up and say, hey, what lodge are you in? You know, that, because you can see, you identify certain things. You've been around it for so long that you understand. So that I definitely understand. But you got out of prison and decided to... It's not even like you were a car thief and now you're going to be a car salesman. You're not even in the same realm anymore. You decided to go so far away from what you knew. That had to be a scary experience. Well, when you come home from prison...
2: You think there's going to be like some parade. Yeah. You're going to have a suitcase of money.
1: <laughs> Frankie Steele's back here. Yeah, yeah. Go, yeah. Wait a
2: minute. I saw
0: there. a suitcase of money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah the good old days.
2: <laughs> but uh, you realize things change, and now you're playing catch-up. Now, when I went away— And now you're a marked man also. Oh, you no. get that stigma. Well, you're marked by the government.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly.
2: Yeah, yeah. Once That's it. Once, once they have your number, you're through the system, they will never let you go. There's always going to be something they're going to throw you on.
0: Some case here or there and see if it sticks, see if it doesn't. And then... you for, now it's you forgot to get a
1: permit to, to film in New Jersey. You know, I mean, we've seen, Kevin and I have seen that in law enforcement. You know, someone goes away for, you know, doing residential burglary or something. Now the kid gets out and there's a burglar in their area. First person they look at. First person they look at.
2: Yeah. Because of my past and everything I went through with the war, it followed me after I got out. Like there was um, January 11th. 2011 Mafia Takedown Day, when 127 guys got rounded up at 6 a.m. Wow, this was like a historic day in mob history. They, there was the most mob guys arrested at
1: once. That's like a racketeering I, thing.
2: Well, well, basically they had they had indictments for every family. Basically, yeah. I was on. I got I got arrested that morning.
1: Is that <laughs> is that with the Yorkie?
2: Yes, uh, yeah. <laughs> I read okay. that one. You haven't lived. <laughs> until you woke up to a no-knock warrant from SWAT.
1: Yeah, when your door comes off and flashbangs go off.
2: Yeah, I hear everything. So I heard the creak in my front gate. So now, who's oh, coming here at 6 o'clock in the morning. It just turned 6 o'clock. I look at 6 o'clock. So I go, let me get up and look. So I go to one of my bedrooms that was my dog's room, because he had his own room. And I go in there, <laughs> and I look out the window, and I see on the steps... They got, they're holding on their shoulders like a sort team. Yeah. They remind me of a sort yeah. team from prison. Yeah. And they're oh, looking like Darth Vader all huh. the way down the steps. This became a joke in my house this, this morning because I just started going out with my wife a little before. You remember when uh, uh, Jerry Maguire, she goes, you had me at hello?
0: Yeah. <laughs> all right.
2: So after this all happens... My, my wife was play a joke on me. You had me at SWAT. Now, <laughs> now she just only a few months with me now. She's moved in and everything. And it was my birthday the day before, so I was like, you know, had a couple of drinks. I come running back in the room. I go, get up, SWAT's here. <laughs> so now I'm getting money and I'm I'm putting it in her pocketbooks, right? So I'm filling up her pocketbook with money. And now I hear the door, boom, boom. So I'm I'm like, get dressed. <laughs> so now I'm trying to get dressed because the last thing I want to do is end up on. The, the gangland news in my underwear.
1: <laughs> my skivvies. <laughs> yeah.
2: So now I'm throwing pants on and they're still going boom, boom. They're knocking the door. Now my dogs are going crazy. I have an American bulldog and a small dog, a little, a little uh, Maltese. And uh, the dog gets, uh, you know, comes slamming open, comes crashing open, and they just drop two grenades in my house. So now I go to kick one because the little, Puppy thought it was a toy. Oh. So he was running to it. So I go kick that one. So that one blows up in the corner of my living room. And the other one, it went under my table. So it really didn't hurt the dog. And then they came in and they had, you know, all the red dots on me. You know, screaming, move, going to shoot you. Going to shoot the dog. I go, you're not going to shoot the dog. (laughs) I said, somebody's going to die today if we shoot the dog.
0: (laughs) Shoot me, not the dog. You know.
2: So the dogs get put in the bathroom. They take me out. I have no idea why I'm being arrested now. I'm thinking of a million things that going through my head. <laughs> is that, that parking is ticket I got okay. last week? <laughs> so I'm thinking of a million things. I'm like, they never came like this for me, ever. You know, even during the war. You know, when I finally did get arrested, they didn't come like this. Now I get downstairs, my whole block is lit up. They got a tank outside my house. It's like a SWAT tank. What do they think you did? Where are you here? <laughs> So now, this is all stuff from the war. In the end, this is why I figure it out.
0: Twenty years later,
2: you know, almost twenty years later. So now I go out. There's like a tank out there. There's there's all kinds of SVU trucks and all my neighbors are out to look at the windows, looking at what's going on by the door. And I'm in the van. They lock up my future wife. She was my wife at that. My my girl. They bring her outside. And now I'm standing there in the truck, and I don't know why I'm being arrested. I'm, I, it's like I'm, it's like a computer going off in of my head, all different things. And I'm like, this is bad. That's all i could say. This is bad. <laughs> this is
1: the, the one you so, don't see coming. Yeah, yeah. Something ain't right here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I go, this is bad. So now,
2: after about a you know, half hour, I'm in the van. Agents come up now, field agents. They have the FBI jackets on. They go, you know why you're being arrested? I'm like, No. It's a good question. And he pulls from behind. He goes, "You see this?" And it was Nintendo Wii. <laughs> okay, I'm like, the video game. He goes, "Yeah." I says, "What am I being arrested for?" He goes, "You bought stolen property." I was relieved. Well, that's I go, a minor, I, "That's a minor thing." I, I go, it. "I go." You're telling me you did all this? Knock my door down, threw grenades at me. Have SWAT here for stolen property? They go, yeah. And we just went to your bar and took all your TVs down. I'm like, well, you better take the cartridge out of that week because my favorite cartridge is in there. <laughs> so go in there and plug it in and get it out. So now I have no idea that there's another 126 mob guys getting arrested at the same time. For the same thing? No. Oh, okay. No, all different things. So now I, I get taken in a van. They bring me to the Army base by Fort Hamilton. By the Baron's yeah, Bridge. Right
1: before Hampton, yeah.
2: So now they bring me into a gym, and now I start seeing everybody. All my friends are here.
1: It's like a family reunion. So I'm
2: looking at everybody. I'm like, okay, what the, something's going on. I'm just happy and smiling that it's stolen property. What happened was a few months before, I was opening a bar, and I needed to get some TVs. So a guy I knew said, listen, don't worry. I got the TVs. Don't worry. Whatever you need, I got. So I ended up getting the call. And he goes, come to Jersey to get it. So they made me go from Staten Island to Jersey for interstate commerce. Yeah. And when I get to the spot with the warehouse with all the stuff, I, I only want the TVs for the bar. He goes, he goes the other stuff. Do you want this taken? Pay me when you get it. So I said, all right. So I took everything in a van with a guy and I sent the kid to go. I didn't know that the FBI went and bought the stuff and then sold it to me. The FBI went and bought the stuff and sold it
1: to me. It's almost department. like entrapment. It's a little bit entrapment.
2: Yeah, and, and that's exactly what it was. And so now I'm in, I'm on, I'm at the the, the 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 military base, and I'm like, what the hell happened? I don't know. This guy went bad. That guy went bad. So everybody is on, you know, is getting processed. Now we get put on these greyhounds to go to the courthouse. So now I'm on the greyhound, and I'm seeing a couple of guys from the Gambinos, Lucchese, Bananos, and everything. I'm like, what are you here for? Oh, yeah, racketeering. What are you here for? A body from like 20 years ago. What are you here for? Oh, for this shooting. I go, did anybody get swatted this morning on this bus? <laughs> <laughs> anybody wake up to grenades? <laughs> they were like, no,
1: they called me to come outside. I says, are you kidding me? You, you, got, inv- you got arrested for a shooting. You got arrested for this. Get murdered. I got, yeah. like I had a body. <laughs> and I got stolen
0: merchandise yeah. and you well, fucking I saw it, mate. You, wait, hold on a second. Hold on a second. You had a stolen Wii. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't know. That's a pretty big deal to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: I go, so you're telling me you all got arrested and nobody had SWAT sent me on this bus?
1: And they were like, yeah. Well, like, and that's what I was getting to before. Is that your past following you? That's exactly what it was. Yeah. 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 But, you, you know, I like the
0: way you've gone now uh, as far as getting into the film industry. Yeah. Because right, I think you're doing some cool stuff. Oh, listen it, again. Everything that I've
2: been through in my life, all the suffering, all the heartache, all the pain, being used in this life, and then realizing it—it's it's, its nothing what you think it's going to be. And you give yourself to the mob, and then you realize they're to spit you out in the end. You know, you go in whole, like a whole fish, like Heathcliff, he's the whole fish. And when they spit you out, it's a skeleton.
0: Unfortunately, your new industry, which is media and entertainment. It's the same way. It's, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah it's,
2: but it's, they're, they're going to use
1: you until they can't use you anymore. You know,
2: and I see that with certain contracts and stuff now. Yeah. And now they want to, like, you know, have a, a slave contract, they call it. I see that with certain things. and But I've seen it before also. Everything that I've been through, it's making me who I am today. So that's why I wouldn't change anything. If, if I would have changed something, there's, there's a lesson I wasn't supposed to learn.
1: Like I said, and, and like Kevin said, that's the premise of our show. Yeah. You know, what you went through. And we had this conversation before we even started today. Yeah, You know, what's it, it's it's all about going through that suffering and it, coming through that suffering and making yourself the person you are today. Yeah. And learning about it. Now, yeah. the the stuff that you- Well, you, you can make a lot of mistakes in your life. Is If you don't learn from those mistakes, oh, no. then shame on you.
2: Listen, you need to make mistakes because mistakes you
0: learn from. You, you, I've learned way more from my mistakes, my victories. Me than that, too. My That's me why me Kevin's too. so fucking smart. <laughs> and I made some
2: serious <laughs> yeah. mistakes in my life, like I shouldn't be here. You know, mistakes. You know. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And then when you're growing up, you're like, we're never making it to 25 anyway.
0: I you always know? wanted 27 because it seemed like all the great musicians that I admired die when they're 27. Jimi <laughs> Hendrix, Jimi Janis Joplin, yeah. Jim Morrison. I,
2: I, I used to say 25. And then when I hit 50, I was like, oh,
0: my God. Well, no. So you said 25. What was it like on your 25th birthday? Like, yeah, I'm not not quite ready to go yet. (laughs) Well, you know what it was? I was in prison.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I was in prison for that. I was in Lewisburg for the 25th birthday. And then when I hit 50, I was like, this is not even supposed to happen. You know, let alone happen. I'm not supposed to be here. I'm supposed to be in my cage still rotting away.
1: Yeah. So I said, I'm 56. I'm like, how the fuck did I make it here?
2: Yeah, listen. I don't even know. I, I don't have a clue. I just, I just need the uh, twenty five more. If I could sign for twenty five more years now, I'd sign right now.
0: As long as they're twenty five good years. I, See, I, I, a good yeah, I don't years, want. Yeah. I don't want to. We, we talk about this all the time in law enforcement, where we go to these medical calls and the people are in bad shape. And every officer will walk out inevitably turn to their partner and say, "Don't ever let me get that way. Take me for a walk." Actually, that was what was said. Yeah. Take me for a walk. How did you use your past life in what you do now? Because like I said, you 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 left a life that is that is very backstabbing to go into a new life, which from what I know about it is very backstabbing. But how do you use your acumen that you learned on the streets well, the, for, to now?
2: Well, the only good thing is, you know, when you're in that life and you're swimming in the, with the big sharks, you kind of learn how to navigate. Now I'm going into the entertainment field. I can swim with the big sharks. I could do stuff that I'm not supposed to even know how to do, but because of everything that I've been through, I do it well, self-taught. Street smarts. Street smarts, and even self-taught with the computer and editing and doing stuff. I, you know, I could do stuff just as good as someone who went to film school. The only good thing here is no one's going to die. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Nobody dies over a film. You know what I mean? No one's going to die. For real, anyway. I've seen you know, in the, the you know? fake blood coming out and stuff, but... <laughs>
2: You know, I mean, as far as, no one's going to die as far as dealing with the hierarchy in the film industry, in the the
0: media industry. That's a good point. You know? That's a good point. But one of the things you have is because of brutality that you've seen, and... Getting that reaction of seeing that brutality, you now have a media outlet where you can give others a similar feeling without having to go through all the bad stuff right you know you can make them feel what you were feeling while you were in there, and that's where your perspective comes in and that's why I say it's important that you went through all that stuff yeah no, it definitely is and it, it
2: everything that I've been through in my life, it even up to the point where my wife got sick. If she was with anybody else, she would have died a lot sooner. they would have fell apart, they wouldn't know what to do. I was made for serious situations. Like, it's in me. I, nav- I, I navigate well around serious things. When she got sick, we knew it was bad. Again, you have hope. It's like, it was like we gave her a, a prison sentence, but she has hope that she's going to live. I knew it was not going to happen. Once we got told out of 26 million people in the DNA database for a bone marrow match was zero. Oh, yeah. cow. There's no hope there, but all you can but do But you got to stay positive. Yes, and that's all about suffering. All the suffering that I've been through, you learn how to deal with things a certain way. So now, when you know that there's no hope, you give them that compassion they need to get through this. And I don't want to say I let her think that that's, it's going to be okay. She knew in the end it wasn't going to be okay. But I've been- I, Going through so much stuff my whole life that I needed to be with her to do this.
0: You need somebody. Everybody needs their rock yeah. in order to break themselves up against every. every yeah. You know,
1: and life. and like you said, that probably gave her more time. It did. You know, it, it definitely if, did. The way I handled everything,
2: the way I took her out of different hospitals and brought her to where she needed to be. If this was left in her family's hands, yeah, she would have been dead quick. You know, at least she had a, a couple of extra years to make memories to make videos, and again, two weeks before she died, they told her, you're dying in 14 days, two weeks. Do you want to die in the hospital, or do you want to die at home? She goes, I want to die home. Because the plan was to have her die home and have her trapped in the house. This way she could be around us, you know. Yeah. It didn't work out like that, because every single day of the 14 days, we had to go have a platelets and a blood transfusion in order to give her some extra time. And on one of those days, towards the end, she had a positive COVID test. Oh, no. So now they're like, you can't go home. (sighs) So she was dead by the next day.
0: You know, at this point in the show, we usually ask everybody what they've learned from their suffering. But I think think we've learned. I think you have just put it very clearly that, you know, there are certain people that are just made for serious situations. Yeah. And some people work well under pressure. Yeah. And I think Frankie's one of those people.
2: My whole life, I was always the underdog. So the pressure was since the beginning. It just evolved and evolved
1: and evolved.
2: The more insane the situation, the better off I am. My brain works way better.
1: If it's too calm, you can't make the right decision. Yeah, yeah. you stammer and it's It's uh, like not normal.
2: You know, I needed to have total chaos. And even in prison, they used to pull me out. Like when I was in the hole, I had to go to the hole for like three years. While you're in the hole for that long, you have to get pulled out, get tested by the psychologist. And the psychologist looked like uh, he was exactly clone of the guy that died from totally funny videos. What was it? Oh, name?
0: Bob Saget? Bob Saget, Saget yes. Yeah, yeah.
2: He was like uh, the clone. I- after a while, you be- became friendly with him. And he would do that Rorschach test with me.
1: Oh, mm-hmm. God, that's please. Yeah. Was- I had
2: one of those. Mm-hmm. So, you know, everything came to, well, it was a chicken wing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Everything I saw was a chicken wing. And he would just laugh and he was just like at the end he goes, You know, you're not completely insane, but I what I get from you is that you need total chaos
0: to work your best. That was his exact words. To be your best. You need bullets flying at your head constantly in order to yeah, to keep me on point. <laughs> well, Frankie, thank you so much for coming in today. Why don't you tell our audience a little bit about where we can find you? I know you're doing mobsters versus monsters. Yes. It's gonna be a good show. It's a, it's a paranormal show,
2: and it's four mob guys, and it's going to be, it's gonna be a very interesting. A comical, too, because we're just funny together, but more serious. Everything that I've been through in my life, it's prepared me for something like this because it's a reality show. You're mm-hmm. in my life watching us do what we do,
1: and it's going to be good. And that's funny, too, because you said, you know, we have a lot of fun and we have a lot of laughs that really what it's all about now. Listen, you know, if you if you can't laugh at yourself and laugh listen, at each other, and I mean, and that and that's why me and Kevin Doody, You know, we we throw in a jokes every once in a while. Yeah. You take that. Well, if you're not laughing, you're dying. You, you got to disarm yeah. the, well, the listen, sadness. At,
2: at this point of life now that I made it this far, I really want to make it at least twenty five more years more. I really, really do. I need to get healthy for that, and I'm trying to do that. And it's, it's, it's been working because I used to be big. I went small, big, small, you know. Now, after what I've seen with my wife, how out of nowhere, she just got leukemia. That the, the one that she got, only 200,000 people on earth get a year. Wow. And there's no symptoms, no warning sign, just boom, you know. It makes you really open up your eyes. And at this stage of the game, really, what do you need in life to be happy? To be around the people you love. Do good, positive things to help others. And not monetarily. Sometimes it's just talking to somebody. You know, being kind goes a long way.
1: It really does. I like that a lot. You know, it goes a long way. And, uh... You know, a, a handshake and a hug go uh, a long way with some people.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and just being kind to them, you know? And that's what I try to do. I try to live my life in a way now where I'm kind to others. I look out for others. And I, I always had that in me. You know, I always would help people. Now at this stage... I just want to live a good life, enjoy my daughter, enjoy what you know, whatever the show brings me. Whether it's people like it or they don't like it, I hope it gets a nice run.
1: You if know they, what? Me, fuck it if they like if they don't like it. You know, I know. as long as it's making you happy, yeah, that, that's what you got to do. That that's where, like I said, we're we're all well. Kevin's a little younger, but we're on our fifties now. Yeah, you got to do something that you enjoy now, no, and I you enjoy know, that, it. That brings you satisfaction. No, I enjoy it, and
2: you got to remember now. When you make media, when you make film, when you make a TV show, when you're gone, somewhere down the line, somebody's going to watch this.
1: Yeah, like a legacy type of, like you, type you of know, thing. like you're yeah. saying, Bob Saget. Yeah, you know, Bob Saget. People are still watching. You you know, or or when, watch it. We we were talking about before, when when singers die, you know, you know your favorite musicians, their album sales like go through the roof. But you know, because people are still trying to grasp, you know, keep hold of that that person. So basically, the Mobs vs Monsters uh,
2: reality paranormal show—that's gonna be—it's uh, gonna be good. And so look we'll out for that, everybody. And then I got a couple of them little small movies, Mob Block, and a couple of the series that are coming out that I'm doing myself. And uh, I just want to, you know, enjoy my rest of my life, basically, and <laughs> the some, next twenty-five ma- years, make plus. some movies, make some movies, and uh, leave a mark because everything in life vanishes except karma.
0: That's a, that's a good one to okay. leave right there, Frankie. Thank you so much for stopping by Thanks and talking to me. us. Thanks for
2: having me. Well, we have to finish another time because because there's there a lot more. There's we a didn't... lot there's
0: a lot more because number one, and I'm just going to leave a little teaser out there. Yeah. You got some freaking hilarious prison stories. That's number <laughs> one. The stuff that had me crying. You were in Out for Justice with Steven Seagal. Yeah. Okay. Which I got to hear all about because it's got to be the worst Brooklyn accent I ever heard in my life. But there's a lot more. There's there, a lot of
2: good stories about that time.
0: There's a lot of stuff that we need to talk about. But that's going to do it for this episode of the Suffering Podcast. And let's think about all the stuff that we learned today. Don't buy leather jackets from in- Istanbul. No, <laughs> yeah. oh, that's
2: soft leather. It's
0: like camel ass. <laughs> camel ass. He's going to say camel toe. <laughs> <laughs> Don't look for love in the wrong places. Some people are made for serious situations, but most importantly, it all comes down to a choice. And that's going to do it for this episode of the Suffering Podcast The Suffering of a Mafia Enforcer. Follow Mike on Instagram at Dented underscore Ace. I'm at Real Kevin Donaldson. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and now on YouTube. And we will see you on the next episode of the Suffering Podcast.